0: Wherever you are, I don't know if if you guys have felt like this year has gone too slow and then too fast, but it's already halfway through December. Next Sunday is Christmas Sunday already. It kind of crept up on us in many ways because it's been such an eventful year. But my prayer is that wherever you are and whatever kind of year you've had, uh, that you are able to take a moment this Christmas season, this Advent season, Uh, to really meditate on what kind of year this has been for you, how God has come through for you this year, the different ways and the different things that God has brought into, uh, different things into your life. And don't let this year go by without you um, meditating and thoughtfully going through what kind of year this was. It would be such a waste if, you know, this whole year passes by and you are, so busy with circumstances that you're unable, uh, to take a moment just to meditate because as this year's coming to a close, we realize that we've been waiting for a lot of things. We've been waiting for the pandemic to end, for vaccine to be developed, for economies to reopen, for travel to resume, uh, for those who haven't seen their families because they live abroad, uh, those who are struggling you know to to work through even homesickness and not being able to see your families it's been a year of waiting for things to change uh, for those who are struggling to make ends meet for those who are homeschooling or working from home for those who are limiting their social interactions uh we do all of this and we've spent this kind of year knowing that this is a temporary arrangement, that sooner or later things are going to change. We're waiting for this hiatus to end so that we can begin once again. And this year has probably been maybe the best example of a year in recent history where we as a global community, we realize that we live in a broken reality where sickness exists where loss and grief are part of our existence, where tomorrow cannot be guaranteed. And we can't just gloss over this and say, well, God is good anyway, right? God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. We can't just dismissively say that without first sitting in the tension and allowing for the pain to touch us first. Because our Christian faith isn't one where you only look at the good and turn a blind eye to the bad. The Christian faith is one where you look at the good and the bad. You wrestle with it. And then and only then, in the words of Job, you're able to say, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We see more clearly than ever before that we live in a broken reality. And at the same time, we see more clearly as believers that this actually that we're experiencing right now, this is not our home. This is not our citizenship. This is not our inheritance forever. This isn't our portion As we go through the season of Advent celebrating the coming of Jesus, we most fully understand the gift of the Savior when we most soberly understand that we are actually hopeless without him. With or without a pandemic, with or without social and economic upheaval, we are hopeless without Jesus. And so today's message for us today is titled, Awaiting a Prince of Peace. Awaiting a Prince of Peace. And I'm so grateful that this is one of the names that Jesus took on for himself. Because we realize, especially in this kind of season, how much it is that we need peace. And so we'll be reading together from Isaiah 9, a very familiar passage that talks about the promise of our Messiah. So we're going to read together Isaiah 9, verse 2, and then verses 6 through 7. And it reads this way the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor Now, a couple of things I want to note about this passage. Number one is that the context of this promise is after the prophecy of destruction. This is not a Hallmark card kind of moment where you get a fuzzy, warm feeling inside. It's not a moment full of sentimentalism. It comes at the heels of a grimy, gritty passage that says that Israel will be in despair. Israel will be in darkness, in hopelessness, that they will look all around them and see no signs of hope. They will look all around them and see nothing but destruction. And in that moment, the prophet Isaiah, breaks in with this most unlikely and astounding promise. And second thing that we need to keep in mind about this passage is that it was prophesied 600 years before Jesus Christ ever walked on the scene. Before Jesus Christ came to us as a baby in a manger. The idea of one who is fully God and fully man was not yet conceived by the human mind. This prophecy was given 600 years before Jesus ever entered the scene. And it was full of wonder and mystery. We as New Testament believers, we look back and we say, oh, of course, this is referring to Jesus. But for people who had yet to see Jesus Christ, it was nothing but a mysterious and awesome promise from God. And so this great hope, this great mystery reveals three different truths that holds fast to us even through the greatest of shakings and the first is this that Jesus Christ brings peace for our eternal souls through his first coming We have peace for our eternal souls, not temporary, not just for the year 2020, not just till we make it through this rough patch. We have peace for our eternal souls through his first coming. Sometimes we live our lives fantasizing that man if only this was different in my life, if only my finances were this way, if only my career turned out this way, if only my health turned out this way, if only my relationships or my family, if only these things were different, I would be at ease. I would have peace. I would live a happy life. But the truth of the matter is that even if you had it all, Even if you lived your ideal life here on this earth, you'd still live with a sense of brokenness and a sense of lack. How do we know this? Today, we can look at the lives of many people that we look up to. Celebrities, the rich and famous, the well-respected, the venerated. And we can ask them, are you happy The truth of the Bible reveals something very uncomfortable to our simple minds, is that our lack and our brokenness is not rooted in less than ideal circumstances all around us. It's more than just skin deep. It's not just something out there is wrong, and if only my life circumstances were to change, then something inside would feel settled. It is the truth of the Bible that says That we live in a world that is broken and sinful because we ourselves are broken and sinful. It's not just something out there that is a problem. It starts from within. This is what the word calls sin nature. And sin is not just something that we do. It's not just something that we act upon. It is something deep within ourselves that we carry with us. A nature that is within us that expresses itself in actually what we do. The passage that we read today, it starts with these two lines, you know, and it's, you know, the for two, uh sorry, not the first uh, passage, but in verse six, it says for to us, a child is born and a son is given. These two lines aren't just saying the same thing in two different ways. These two lines aren't reiterating the same thing. It's not saying a baby entered into the scene and a baby entered into the scene. It's not just saying the same things. It's actually saying two seemingly opposing truths that culminate in the incredible miracle that is the incarnation of an uncreated God. You know the difference between a child and a son? The first line means that a child, an infant, a fetus that grows inside a human womb finally entered into the world. A child was born. But the second line means that a pre-existent, All powerful, uncreated, majestic and glorious son who was and is and is to come. The great I am, the one who before Abraham was, he was, this son of God was not born. He was given. He was surrendered. He was gifted. And so this is our king, a child that is born in weakness and humility and a son that is given in powerful mercy. This one, this uncreated word that became flesh and dwelt among us, this pre-existent, all powerful servant of all is the only one who is now able to truly be our wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting father and prince of peace. He's the only one who's able to marry and reconcile within himself, not 50% man and 50% God. We're talking about 100% the nature of God and 100% the nature of man. Fully God and fully man. Now, I've been taking recently an online course on the divinity and the humanity of Jesus in the last few weeks. And uh, the instructor actually gave us this quote from Napoleon Bonaparte. And I didn't know that this, this is one of his thoughts, but this is something that he recorded. He was somebody who was not um, unacquainted with just how glorious and mighty a man In the full glory of his career, the full glory of his military power, he was not unaware of what it could look like. And this is what he said. Napoleon said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist there is between Christianity and whatever other religions, the distance of infinity. Everything in Christ astonishes me. His spirit overaws me. His will confounds me. Between him and whoever else in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. He is truly a being by himself. His ideas and his sentiments, the truth which he announces, his manner of convincing are not explained either by human organization of the nature of things. The nearer I approach, the more carefully I examine everything is above me. Everything remains grand of a grandeur which overpowers. His religion is a revelation from an intelligence which certainly is not that of man. There's a profound originality which has created a series of words and of maxims before unknown. Jesus borrowed nothing from our science. One can absolutely find nowhere but in him alone the imitation or the example of his life. I search in vain in history to find, the sim- to find someone similar to Jesus Christ or anything that can approach the gospel. But neither history, nor humanity, nor the ages, nor nature offer me anything with which I'm able to compare it or to explain it. Here, everything is extraordinary. The more I consider the gospel, the more I'm assured that there is nothing there which is not beyond the march of events or above the human mind. This is the God that we worship. This is the truth that the Bible expounds on a God who in his glory chose to become a servant. And through his death and through his resurrection, we, a broken humanity, are able to find eternal peace for our souls. Now, the second truth that we can get from this passage in Isaiah nine is that through Jesus We find peace for all creation eternally at a second coming. Now, for the last four weeks, we've been talking about the end times, about how it's less about being scared about the Antichrist or about buying gold with your savings or fixating on the mark of the beast. It's about longing for this God and longing for this man called Jesus Christ. It's about believing that the church is going to make it. It's about the heights of the gospel of good news. It's about the hope of restoration. It's about the sureness of the promises of God. For the last four weeks, we've been going on this incredible journey and timely topic, leading us straight to celebrate the season of Advent. The waiting for the arrival of Jesus. Now this word, word Advent, it comes from the Latin word Adventus. and means simply coming and arrival. And it not just refers to the 40 days before Christmas as we celebrate his first coming, but also our posture as we await for his arrival and his second coming if you are at all aware about the sequence of events that leads to the second coming, if you've been following through the Bible reading in a year, you will realize that the circumstances into which Jesus Christ will come back are not going to be rosy. They're not going to be, it's not going to be a walk in the park. We're going to be experiencing as humanity, we're going to be experiencing the hardest and most difficult times in all of history. And for a war-stricken people, for an oppressed and harassed and persecuted people, for a nation at war, for people who have been displaced and have become refugees, for those who long for respite and rescue and safety, this promise of a prince A peace cannot be understated. Do you realize what it means to say to a people who are going through maybe the hardest times that all of history has gone through to look at them in the eye and say there is one who is coming and his name is Prince of Peace. His name is Almighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. Against the backdrop of of the hopelessness of the time of his first coming and against the backdrop of the chaos and suffering of the time of his second coming, we realize more than ever before that we need the Savior and we need this Messiah. Now, lastly, we talk about the first coming of Jesus as he came as an infant, entered into our world, stepped on this land. And then we talk about the day that is to come, the second coming of Jesus. But what happens in the middle? What do we do here in the waiting, in the time of the already but not yet, where we know that we are called to be here, and yet we know that we were not made for this world? What happens in the meantime? This is the wonderful and practical outworking of the gospel. And that is that we today have peace for our hearts and our minds right now. Because let me put it this way. One day sin will be no more, right? One day death will be no more. Tears will be no more. Pain will be no more. But this short Lifetime that we live on this earth, this hiatus, this brief moment on this side of eternity is the only opportunity we have to love Jesus through imperfection, to love Jesus through failure, love Jesus through our sin nature, to love Jesus through longing for what is not yet one day. Maybe not too long, not too far in the future, we won't be able to worship God in this way. We won't get to love Jesus in this way. But this short lifetime that we get here on earth is the only opportunity we have to love Jesus through the imperfection. Do you know that you have a Prince of Peace today? Prince of Peace, and in the Hebrew, it's Sar Shalom. The word sar, the word prince, it doesn't mean like little king, like the son of a king who actually doesn't have power and is kind of, you know, next in line, but not as important as king. Actually, that 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 translation, it doesn't capture the full meaning of the word. In Hebrew, sar, sar shalom, so prince of peace, sar, it means chief, captain, commander, and leader, someone with authority and someone with ruling power. So let me ask you this question. Do you live this life like you have a Sar Shalom? Do you live this life like you have a captain, a commander, someone who is sovereign over every storm? And I ask you this question because I myself often live this life knowing this thing, this truth in my head, but not actually believing it, not actually living in that way. I had this brief moment of revelation a few weeks ago. I, you know, this whole year has been, you know, a a series of events that kind of has put us all into this, this, this feeling of unrest and this feeling of like, oh, no, what's going to happen now? And, oh, man, when are things going to change? And, you know, can we put our hearts at ease? Um, This whole year has been like that. And for myself as, as as a pastor as well, it's been a year without much respite and a year without much, you know, like whew, this moment where you just get to breathe out, you know, and, and, and you get to catch your breath and you get to find yourself at peace. It's been a year of, of much happening. And so a few weeks back when I finally took some long overdue rest After a very challenging and after a very demanding year filled with crisis, I found myself unable to rest. So finally I had this opportunity and in my mind I was like, okay, I'm just going to push hard. I'm just going to make it through to this, this brief window where I get to finally rest. And I'm going to unplug, I'm going to get off social media, I'm going to, you know, turn off my phone, I'm going to get away for a bit and I'm going to finally find, you know, this moment to, uh, of rest and peace to just catch my breath. But I actually found it so difficult to do that. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this where you finally get vacation, you finally get rest and the entire time you find yourself still like like anxious, still unable to to just like let go and take a deep breath and chill like and, and not have to think about what's next. And so, you know, I'm going to I'm going to share just a little bit from uh, a journal entry that I wrote just a few weeks back this is verbatim, right? And this is what I said after, you know, trying to make sure that there is no source of stress and no source of anxiety. And I wanted to make sure that everything is right. and I'm not going to stress and there's no timetable and I don't need to respond to anybody else's demands. I, I had planned for myself this time of rest and yet I couldn't find myself entering into that rest. This is what I wrote. These last few days have been such a gift. But I've also come to such a strong realization that it's not the environment that is the main source of stress. I am the source of stress. Even when I can afford to relax and just to be and not get into the next thing, I often fail to do this. I'm constantly pressuring myself. I'm the source of anxiety. I'm the problem. And people will dish out all kinds of money to buy a sense of calm, but to no avail. I need to be reminded of this. The inner peace that I'm looking for can only be found in Christ. The ceasing of the guilt, the ceasing of the pressure to perform and not mess up and not disappoint others and not make mistakes. I need to get free from that again and again And I know that ultimately it won't be found in external ways, no matter how ideal. but by leaning solely on Jesus, there is no other answer. As cliche as that sounds, that is what I've been looking for this whole time. And that's what seems to elude my grasp. I don't follow this train of thought too much. um, And I wrote in parenthesis, because it's going to lead me into sermon prep mode, and that's a work mode, right? But... Maybe this is the whole point of needing a Prince of Peace. Jesus saw the crowds and saw them as harassed, guilt-ridden, lost, and spiritually hungry. This unrest of the soul isn't a new thing. It's as old as time. And so the gracious words of a Savior that looks upon our guilt-ridden and my guilt-ridden soul is peace I give to you. In the midst of natural disasters and political upheaval and uncertainty and never-ending pressures from all around, he says, peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is a very pastor-sounding journal entry, right? (laughs) But this is the realization that I came to just a few weeks ago. I realized, okay, I'm finally going to get rest. And it wasn't in man, I just need to be somewhere where my time is unstructured and I don't have all these alerts coming through my phone and I'm able to set aside you know, my work and I'm able to leave my laptop at home. That's what I thought would bring me rest. But ultimately, I realized that I came head to head with the realization that I was still stressed. I was still anxious. I couldn't stop my mind from working and my, my thoughts from going to worst case scenario and what happens with this and what happens in the next week. And the week after that, and I couldn't find, I couldn't find a stop to that until I realized that the the peace that I was looking for, it wasn't going to be found in this magical week where everything would be ideal and the pressures of the world, you know, I'll be shielded from it, but it ultimately comes with Christ. You could have the most ideal vacation for an entire year and still come back utterly exhausted. Still come back, not feeling like you got to catch your breath. And that's what happens when you don't allow Christ into that place of rest. So I'll close with this, this passage that we read today from Isaiah nine. It ends with a very, very important line. After all is said and done, it isn't the righteousness of the people that will do it. It's not the deservedness of the people that will do it. It's not the merit and the proof that they turn a corner that will do it. No, it is the zeal of the Lord that will do it. He is a zealous deliverer. He is a zealous redeemer. He is zealous to heal, to comfort, to rescue, to resurrect, to take a broken and idolatrous people and make them his The zeal of the Lord will do this. As I ask one of our priesthood members to come up, and I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer today, I want to ask you this question. Do you know that God is zealous for you? Because sometimes when we feel insecure, or we have certain experiences in our lives with our own authority figures or our own fathers or our own mothers, sometimes when we've experienced over and over again disappointments in this life that get ingrained into our minds, we start believing that we're not cared for. Not really. You know, we start believing that we are maybe at best tolerated But not cared for, not fought for, not treasured, not celebrated, forgiven, doted over, not fully known and fully loved. When we experience disappointment in this life over and over again, we begin to believe that this is a truth, not just of our earthly fathers, not just of these earthly authority figures, but also by God. We begin to project these things onto God. We begin to think and suspect that he is just sitting back waiting to see how we'll perform. He'd grudgingly allow me to sit in his presence, but one strike and I'm out. I'm not fully, I'm not fully loved and accepted and he's not fully invested in my life. And I bore him with my, with details of my struggles and I bore him with my sin over and over again. This is what we begin to believe about God. But the coming of Jesus proclaims something very different, and that is that God is zealous for you. God is burning with passion, consumed with desire, moved into action and rushing towards you. When you feel overlooked, when you feel neglected, when you feel abandoned and isolated, it is the act of a zealous God that reminds us that he was the one who dreamed up the incarnation, the birth of a child, the giving of a son. It is the humility and mercy of a zealous God that we see in his first coming, securing eternal peace for our souls. It is a steadfast love of a zealous God that sustains us now through our anxiety, through our struggles, through our weakness and our failings, bringing peace to our hearts and our minds as we wait. And it will be, surely as it is written, the act of a zealous God that will bring restoration and healing to all creation one day soon. Jesus second coming where sin and death will be no more separation from the father will be no more and we will once again be one the zeal of the Lord will do it this Advent season and the celebration of Christmas is not about sentimentalism it's about God's zeal for you and for me God's zeal for his people of Israel God's zeal for the nations to know a light breaking through the darkness. God's zeal making a way through the impossible to rescue a people without hope. This is the good news of the coming of Christ. This is what Advent is about. Knowing that he is for us and that he is with us. God, Emmanuel, God with us. That is his name just at his first coming when he stepped here on this earth and not just at a second coming when he comes once again in the middle in the waiting in the interim as well he is with us right now he sees our circumstances he sees the challenges and the brokenness and the sin and the turning back again he sees all of it and he declares that he is God, Emmanuel, a God who is with us.